Hey, this is Ars Payne with Rule Playing Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 173, the Alien RPG Breakdown, where we're going to be, well, breaking down the brand new Alien RPG uh, from the Free League, uh, a uh, group of Swedish developers who have gotten the license for, yes, Alien, the whole xenomorph cornucopia of acidic blood, you know, goodness or something like that. Black goo. <laughs> yeah, goo. Uh, and with me is uh, Burke. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, also, this music for you heard the intro is actually from uh, Music D20, a Patreon for music that you can get for your uh, it's a library of tracks you can put into Roll20 and that kind of thing. Um, and there are new tracks every month. Uh, so uh, we've also been putting them on some of our After Hours episodes. But yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash music D20. Yeah, if you like it, back the uh, uh, music D20. But before we begin uh, with the topic of talking about alien rpg well we have an announcement burke and i have actually been working on a new podcast uh this will be a free podcast uh called night clerk radio haunted music reviews uh this is going to be about uh reviewing vaporwave dark ambient dungeon synth and also talking about the theoretical topics behind it like plunder phonics uh hauntology and uh, a lot of other fun stuff. So if you like weird music or you want to learn more about weird music, that is uh, these sort of weird subgenres that are popping up all over Bandcamp and the SoundCloud and other, you know, uh, little known corners of the Internet. Mm-hmm. If you want to dig into some weird niche Internet shit. Yeah. So we'll be explaining it, this is where we're, neither of us are like experts in music in terms of like being professional music reviewers. So we're just going to be sort of explaining it from the ground up as we're learning about it as we do the podcast. Yes, yeah, it's been a great learning experience. It's actually been yeah. really fun. Uh, yeah, learning to talk about music. Yep. There's this whole quote about uh, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. And I'm like, all right, yeah, no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So uh, we... We'll launch it sometime in the first quarter of uh, 2020. We're not sure. We've already started recording episodes uh, and we will have more details as we come out with them, including little uh, teasers and whatnot. But uh, I just want to get you all to know that's one of the things I've been working on the last couple of months and uh, with Burke because Burke's also really into Vaporwave. That's right. So even if you haven't listened to Vaporwave, even if you don't know what Vaporwave is, uh, if you've ever listened to things like the Silent Hill 2 soundtrack, the Avalanches, uh, DJ Shadow, the little music clips they play in interstitials for Toonami, uh, you <laughs> you would probably like it. The Weather Channel. The Weather Channel. Big, big influence there. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, uh, we will uh, go into everything from uh, Mallsoft to Future Funk. Well, probably Future Funk will probably wait a while, but uh, definitely Dark Jazz. Mm-hmm. Not just Vaporwave. Like I said, it's it's haunted music because we That's live right. in an age where we're haunted by the past and uh, alternate futures. And what does that even mean? Well, you'll have to listen to Night Clerk Radio. So Ooh. if you want to ask us questions already, we have a Twitter account set up uh, at Night Clerk Radio. That's something we're really excited about. Burke, anything else you want to mention about it? No, I think it's just been um, really exciting. Like I said, just learning about all these different subgenres because... Um, I'm not like into as dark ambient as you are. So getting mm-hmm. to talk about that's been really fun. Um, we did a topic episode where we kind of just dug deep into one of sort of the foundational just theory topics behind Vaporwave. And that was really interesting. So I think there's a lot of good stuff to listen to. So I'm excited to launch it. Yeah. If you're the kind of person who's like wants to listen to new music, kind of a interest in this, we'll be reviewing uh, most episodes, two albums and with links and uh, clips so you can sort of get a sense of what the album's like. And uh, yeah, so it's a way to expand your musical horizons. We should get on with the actual episode. So Alien, it's uh, it's in RPG form now. It's back. <laughs> yeah, it's back. I mean, uh, it's a it's a very storied franchise uh, mm-hmm. of movies and 
course, there's the extended universe of the Dark Horse comics, numerous video games, novels. I assume at some point Disney will buy that and wipe that out. <laughs> Don't they technically already own them? I mean, isn't this 20th Century Fox? Oh, my God, you're right. Do you know more? will appear in Avengers 5. Oh, oh Jesus. <laughs> the darkest timeline. <laughs> I mean, they already... Well, I have opinions about Covenant, but uh, and Prometheus. So, I mean, I don't know what else, what more damage they could do. But this was not kickstarted. Uh, but the Free League, uh, which is a Swedish company of uh, RPG developers who have put out Tales from the Loop, uh, which we've of course done numerous episodes of on RPG or Actual Play. Uh, also, Mutant Year Zero, which we've done a one shot or two. Coriolis, which is like a sci-fi RPG. Couple other games too. Um, I think Forbidden Lands uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well. So they all use this same similar system, all based on rolling pools of d6s and uh, with variants for each sort of setting to sort of make it more uh, applicable. And um, yeah, Alien is a real interesting uh, way to do a, a, a licensed game because they don't take every single. Obviously, they don't do Alien Resurrection as sort of like <laughs> a <laughs> canon yet because Alien Resurrection, spoiler alert for a 10-year-old movie at this point, uh, ends with Earth being destroyed. So Earth's still around. It's alternate timeline. <laughs> yeah, alternate timeline. Uh, yeah, it starts out uh, sometime after Alien 3. Uh, and yeah, uh, also material from Prometheus and Covenant is canon in the RPG. And mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah, by the way, this episode will have spoilers for not only the, the RPG, but also the adventure Chariot of the Gods, because I did run that uh, adventure for RPPR. And we will have an actual play recording of it up at some point. Uh, but I was really interested in sort of doing a breakdown uh, slash analysis of the system and game. Uh, and Burke was also interested in it. Yeah, I just love Alien as a franchise. Also, uh, uh, a note of disclosure, I did get a review copy of this game um from free league including uh the game itself charity of the gods the gm screen dice uh cards and um uh, a map with a cardboard little tokens you could use to move around things which i did not use but it, it looks neat so i didn't get any of that so just listen to me <laughs> yeah all right so burke what are your overall thoughts on it uh i do like it um just to you know get that out of the way like you said it's set a few years after uh, alien 3 um i like that it tries to um, be a franchise game and at first i was concerned there'd be just a lot of fan service and not much like uh, in the way of new ideas mm-hmm. um which it kind of does some of the classes are ones you'd expect and we'll talk about charity of the gods more but it's sort of like on a not nostromo type ship um but overall i think that i really like that they took the idea of the alien universe and sort of expanded it out into something uh richer than mm-hmm. just sort of what you see in the movies because it has a uh, just for background it has two modes of play one that it calls um campaign which is designed mm-hmm. to be like your standard rpg campaign and one that's cinematic which is like a little more deadly a little more pvp a little more just trying to recreate an alien movie yeah this is the con game slash one shot Charity of the Gods is a cinematic play scenario. I did read somewhere in uh, one of the press releases that they plan to release a bunch of these cinematic play scenarios as support for the game. Yeah, they're all designed to be played in about four hours, which uh, hint is about a Gen Con game block, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they know what they're doing there. But I think the campaign stuff is actually more interesting in a lot of ways because it gets into a lot of like intercorporate politics where you don't have that in, in a lot of the media and like exploring the outer reaches, how players interact. And there's there's more cults and faith and sort of 
interacting with aliens in other ways um, other than just being like stranded somewhere and fighting a single xenomorph, which I really like. Yeah, I did like the the cult stuff. I'm going to have to rewatch Alien 3 at some point to see because I remember mm-hmm. they, they were like religious prisoners or there was yep. some sort of. Um, so I wanted to see what they kind of do with that. So, yeah, no, there's a lot of real good world building in it uh, that they also explain the mechanics of FTL travel, which are never explained in any of the movies, really. Uh, so, uh, yeah. which I like. Um, and, you know, a lot of the political stuff uh, in terms of the what governments are available. Uh, I kind of was expecting, like, I don't know if you know this, but in the original Alien, they the the production designers for the movie actually came up with this visual language for all the uh, sets, like all this, all the iconography that you mm-hmm. see stenciled on the uh, on the walls of the Nostromo are all like supposed to like be future hazard symbols or future like technical symbols. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, oh, it's this kind of door. This this is an airlock or this is not an airlock or whatever. I was kind of expecting because that's sort of I would figure be low hanging fruit. Yeah, for the franchise, he to grab and pad a couple pages up, but that I didn't see that. It's a GM's guide. Bro. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. You're right. Yeah, why why would you put it all in the play in the main book when you have supplements to uh, do? So, um, you know, I am going to be interested too because I don't know if this uses alien isolation um, as canon or not or if that they have access to that that stuff because yeah i haven't played alien isolation but i hear it adds uh some interesting new twists or a couple of interesting ideas yeah isolation is really good it would be before this because isolation if i remember correctly is set while ripley is floating through space before she's found in alien yeah mm-hmm. so it would be before this um but there's no reason that they have access to that they couldn't use it yeah because yeah terry of the gods is definitely uses uh stuff from prometheus which again i don't uh, i didn't look too carefully to see where that lines up with alien and aliens in terms of the timeline they actually made the stuff from prometheus scary again like or scary at all mm-hmm. <laughs> which was good for them um but yeah before we get i guess too much in the set we should talk about the game mechanics itself yeah sure sorry i got off topic no i mean that's trying to get a provide of an overview uh so the overall system is rolling a pool of d6s you have every character has a, a- attributes and then you also have skills now all of these games, freely games, have like 12 skills. There's the, there's a very limited skill set, and that covers everything. And uh, and which is fun because it's a very focused game about, you know, doing sci-fi things. And so like operate machinery or heavy machinery or whatever it's called is a very important skill. It got, came up quite a bit. So I'm personally very satisfied by that. Wow. <laughs> so if your attribute is two and your skill is three, you'd roll 5d6. And if any of them come up sixes, uh, you succeed. Otherwise, you fail. Now, if you fail, you can push the roll, which means you get to roll again. But if you do that, you add a point of stress. And there are other ways to gain stress. There are a lot of ways to gain stress. Mm-hmm. The thing is that like pushing the roll also makes it not just give stress, but makes it easier to succeed because you get an extra die that's a, like a stress die. Yeah, you get to roll the stress die. Um, so you always so actually as your character gets more stressed out, they're more focused, more alert, and they are actually better at things. The downside with stress is you actually have to roll them with a different color D6s. I actually got the they had uh they have special D6s for these, but obviously you use whatever the, the regular ones are black and the yellow ones are uh or the yellow ones are the stress dice. Um and if you roll a one on those stress dice, that means you have to make a panic roll where you take your current level stress, which is you know from one to ten, uh, and then you add uh your a D6 roll to it. Then you consult the table. Uh, if it's seven or less, you're fine. But from eight on to 15 plus, bad <laughs> things happen. Actually, seven, I think, is okay-ish. I mean, you just gain a point of stress. So so basically what happens, there is a sort of like death spiral, well, stress spiral. As you get more and more stressed out, you get more and more stressed out because you keep making panic rolls. And most of those add more stress to you, even if they don't do other things. Now, panic rolls are brief. Like whatever the result is, it only lasts 
one turn in combat. So if you if you freeze or you drop an item, that's it. You do, you're not out of the entire combat. It's an interesting dynamic. Um, and the players really liked it in my experience uh, mm-hmm. when we were doing Chariot of the Gods. They really liked that dynamic. In fact, early on, they started wanting to get stressed so they could roll more dice. Yep. But then once they got to like four to five stress dice, they're like, ooh, ooh. But um, <laughs> And there are ways to heal stress, obviously, but like players didn't really seek that out as much. Like I told them, if you rest every 10 minutes, you rest, you're like, you lose a point. We're like, okay, we'll, we'll rest for like 10 minutes. Okay, you lose one point. Okay, let's go. Okay. <laughs> go push my next roll. <laughs> yep. Let's, uh, let, all right. That's fine. So in uh, opposed roles like combat, you, um, it's whoever gets the most successes. If it's tied, uh, ties go to the defenders. And, uh, interestingly enough, there's no way to dodge ranged attack. Um, you can see cover, but that's about it. But, um, you can only block xenomorph attacks with, uh, if you're holding something like, you know, so you cannot block <laughs> them unarmed, which, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's the basic mechanic. And obviously characters have various talents that they can use to do certain things. There are a lot of edge cases, which we'll get into in a little bit, but um, that's the core mechanic. And that was pretty easy for me to keep a handle of. Characters also have very little health. Their health is it's their strength rating usually. They have mm-hmm. like three hit points. Um, most weapons do a fixed amount of damage. So it's like one plus every success you get over the first. So if you rolled two successes and you shot somebody with a pistol, that would do two points of damage. One for the pistol and then one for the, the second success. Right. But if you have three hit points, that's still a lot of damage. And when you get down to zero, though, you're broken, uh, which means you have to make a roll on the critical hit table and then you're still broken. If no one heals you, uh, you you will die eventually. But like if someone can first aid you back, you can you can hobble around with one health. But like if you roll really bad on the critical hit table, which is a D66 table, you're just you're, you're done. So, <laughs> you know, a 66 is like your head explodes or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your aorta pops and all this stuff. It's a. Uh... Mm-hmm. I didn't look at character creation uh, very much because obviously I was doing the uh, Charity of the Gods. Did you look at that? I did. Yeah. So character creation is real straightforward, which um, they sort of say that in all the cinematic stuff, you'll just have pregens. But I think character creation is so straightforward. You could just do it for basically any game in, mm-hmm. in a few minutes outside of however long your group normally likes to have a, a session zero type thing to talk about stuff. But it's really yeah. straightforward. You, um, you pick a career, which is stuff like Roughnecks, which would be like Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Kodo in uh, Alien, you know, the, the people that repair the ship. There's corporate people, there's um, cops, there's like corporate marshals or like colony marshals, there are kind of like colony sheriffs, there's pilots. You just pick that and then you distribute a certain number of points among your four stats and then a certain number of points among your skills. You pick a talent, um, you pick your little signature item because every character is supposed to have like a little thing that means something to them. And then, oh, you can also be like a kid. Do you want to be like a new type scientist, officer? etc. And I think I could make a bunch of characters for like a game in probably 20 minutes. Yeah, that's definitely a strength of the system because characters can go down very quickly uh, Mm -hmm. as we found out in the second half of Charity of the Gods. Mm -hmm. Um, More than one player had to like pick up one of the NPCs to play so they wouldn't be sitting for the last hour or something like that. Yeah, and I I think you should expect to die in an alien game, right? Like You know, that's just a comes with the genre. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's great. There's rules. Everyone is a human. There are rules um, with GM permission if somebody wants to be a a synthetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So huge spoiler for uh, Charity of the Gods. One of the players is a secret uh, android and you get to assign that to any of the pregens. It's just, you know, and so I had Tom be the secret android. He, of course, loved being the secret android, Um, but he actually pretended like he had stress uh, for the first half of the scenario. 
scenario. It, you're supposed to. Like, you hide it by just behaving like a human. And I really like that bit. But, like, as soon as he's like, yeah, no, I'm. Oh, we should do a blood test to see if you're infected. It's like, I'm definitely not infected. It's like, uh, how, uh, no, we really, it's like, <laughs> here, let me show you what. Let me, let me prove. Oh, white blood. Okay. Yeah, I guess you're not uh, infected. So, uh, that was a, that was a fun scene. Nice. The one thing I also like uh, that I realized is they have a bunch of pregens, but none of them are the actual characters from the movies. Mm-hmm. It's very typical for a licensed RPG. Like, oh, here's here's Ripley's stats. Here's all these other yeah. characters. You know, and Luke Skywalker has 14 strength. And- yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you can do these games without like having. Yeah. If you want to have Ripley in the game, you have to stat her out yourself, which I think is good because, yeah, mm-hmm. if you're the like the typical thing is like, oh, well, these characters in the movies are so much more badass than you. So like we, we made them with special rules. So one way you can definitely tell the characters are um, not supposed to survive very long is there's not a lot of rules for leveling up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. We I didn't even bother because, again, Terry of the Gods is also uh, a scenario where there's not really a way to. Well, there might be a way to escape, but it's uh, mm-hmm. the odds are not good. Now, there there are some things about the rules I didn't really super like. Um, mm-hmm. Like the stealth rules, I didn't really like. They have special stealth rules where enemies are in active or passive mode. Yeah, they're trying to capture I think that tense of like, oh, there's something on the motion tractor. Where is mm-hmm. it? It didn't really work for me. No, it didn't. I didn't really use it. I just kept with standard observation versus well, mobility is your running and sneaking skills. So I used yeah, typical observation versus uh, mobility checks. Yeah. And you could just do without, it doesn't need to be like mechanically encoded if you just want to have a tense scene of something on the player's motion tracker. Mm-hmm. You can just do that. I mean, if they made it more complex and made it more like an alternative to combat where it's like like a full system, that would be fine. But like the one page system as it is, it's kind of like, yeah, it's also not well written like that part. I don't, I didn't really understand what they're trying to do. A lot of this book is very terse um, and has not very much in the way of text. There are generous margins. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but I was to your point, I think my main problem would be is if there were too many more rules, then it almost just be, kind of becomes the alien board game. Yeah. No, I mean, it, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's fair. Like um, if you're doing like stealth as a it, on a tabletop RPG is really hard to do. Uh, mm-hmm. But like if you were to do it, it would be like the full focus of the game. And like this is obviously trying to be a genre, not like let's focus on like, like Blazing Lark does criminal heists. And so like, yeah, you would have to have a game with that level of focus to really do justify stealth to do, you know, metal gear or whatever, or uh, as a, or alien isolation as an RPG mm-hmm. with like elaborate rules for luring enemies away and like figuring out, you know, behavior patterns and guard routines and that kind of thing. Yeah. But like the one page that they have right there is kind of like, it's not good because it like, I think a lot of GMs are going to trip up and try and implement them and not really understand them mm-hmm. when you don't really need it at all. It's more of the skill of the GM to create tension in a stealth scene. Yeah, I think that's something you have to be careful of with franchise games like this. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, we talked about The Witcher last year is there's a very high, I don't know, I feel like there's a high probability that something like this or Witcher could be somebody's first RPG, mm-hmm. like this or D&D, because it's like, oh, I've always wanted to try that out. I love Alien. I'm going to yeah. play. I'm going to try to play this game with my friends. Maybe that'll be our way in. I mean, not D&D. No, I'm not saying D&D is a franchise game like that. I'm saying like mm-hmm. somebody who's like, you have a hugely popular game like Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. I can see the like, Witcher 
RPG being like a gateway into the hobby. Mm-hmm. Same with this. And I think in that case, you have to be a little careful with the rules because there's a lot of stuff that's just sort of like tersely written as an example. As if you're an experienced player in GM, you know, there's giving an example of what might happen when a role fails. But if you've never played before, you might take it literally. Yeah. And I think that can really, that can really like stifle new player play. It's like a thing you have to be careful with when you write these, I think, potentially entry level games. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. But like, I feel like in this case, um, and The Witcher, it's that it's not D&D per se, but substitute like for Witcher, it was cyberpunk. And for mm-hmm. this, it's the free league D6 system. It's like we have yeah. this one, <laughs> when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When yes. all you have is this one RPG system, everything looks like it could be a fit for this RPG system. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stress thing, is perfect like it, it really adds to the game and i mm-hmm. think it, it's very thematic and it definitely the players really liked it It was easy to pick up but the stealth thing is kind of like eh, you you could have cut that page um yeah later on like there's i feel well i i didn't even look at the starship they have like uh more rules uh for different items and stuff like that and mm-hmm. i didn't use them too much because like for example they point out in their own text that uh, the, one of the special rules they have is that pulse rifle, there's a full auto rule. Like when mm-hmm. you fire, you, you know, a weapon like a you know, pulse rifle and you get a one on your stress dice firing it, you run out of ammo. So that because androids don't get pulse rifles, they can never run out of ammo. And Tom was the one, the android found as pulse rifle. And so I'm like, uh, I'm just going to say you get this many attacks with this, Tom. You, 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 because <laughs> I didn't want to use those yeah. rules. Yeah. And they point that out themselves, which I, I appreciate, but it's, I don't, I mean, some that you need some sort of edge case special rules for an RPG. I feel, I don't know. Stealth is the one that didn't, that I didn't yeah. really, uh, the, the full auto was fine, uh, for the most part. I don't know. Maybe it's also just how, what I like to see, but I think, um, we sort of talked about this, uh, a couple of days ago mm-hmm. is I think this game has the one thing that I don't like in most games. Yeah where it's very simply written until you get to like combat gear and vehicles. And then mm-hmm. it becomes a huge slog of edge cases <laughs> and rules. <laughs> yeah. That I don't care about. I don't need shoving specific rules in my alien game. <laughs> like you can just have melee. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't need all these combat subsystems when most of the combat should just be PCs getting ganked by xenomorphs. I kind of ignored a lot of that stuff. Uh, sure. I just kept it pretty basic. Um, but I did like the first session. I forgot. I didn't realize that um, Xenomorphs have a speed rating, which means they get to act multiple times. Now, I did like yep. the initiative system, mm-hmm. which is and they actually gave me a deck of cards that had like uh, the deck of cards. I'll talk about in a second. But like um, you, you, you get 10 cards, you use playing cards, you know, one through 10 uh, ace through 10. Um, and then you just draw them. Everyone draws a card and that's your initiative. Low, lowest number goes first. Uh, but aliens, because they they go faster, they can draw multiple cards, depending on like if they, their speed is two, they get to draw two cards. So the first session, I didn't do that. The second session, I did that and it made a big difference. You're like, aha, I'm drawing two cards. The player's like, wait, what? Yes. Yeah. Did you find so another thing that combat I was a little concerned about with this one mm-hmm. is any game where you have sort of like an otherworldly plot enemy like a xenomorph? Mm-hmm. it becomes weird to me when they just get stats. Like this is something I always thought about, like call it Cthulhu, that there's like just Cthulhu just has stats and I can calculate yeah. like how many times I have to shoot Cthulhu to kill him. Well, but a Xenomorph isn't Cthulhu. Like, I, mean, I, I know, but you are like, supposed to be able to kill a Xenomorph. Right. But I think it goes in the other direction where Xenomorphs are as tough as they need to be for the plot. So like mm-hmm. in Aliens, they just get mowed down. Yeah. And I was curious if you had like a Colonial Marine with a pulse rifle, would they just mow down Xenomorphs? Because Xenomorphs have a lot of health and a lot of armor. 
in this game? Yeah, that that's a that's a good question. Um, they you could definitely change the stats of them uh, depending on like uh, one thing. Yeah, I mean that that's sort of going back to one of the discussions I want to have with this, which is like how you would run this game as a campaign and like mm. part of Alien. I feel as a franchise is like what genre do you want to be? Because the first two movies are different genres. The first movie is a haunted house movie slasher. Yeah, the second movie is like the Dirty Dozen. It's it's a it's a you know <laughs> it's a war movie. Yep. If you want to make a war movie thing, just say that xenomorphs are you know one hit point sure yeah unless it's the queen or you know some other badass guy or they'll add like swarm rules or something Mm -hmm. you know where you attack packs i mean their stats aren't that big like their their stat it's not a d20 stat block it's you know a couple a handful of numbers so no i was just thinking so in combat you roll an attack Mm -hmm. and then you roll armor to reduce that damage right the close combat is different than uh because in close combat you can always block if uh against humans you can always block but and against xenomorphs you can block if you're holding something to, right. to block them um in range combat you'd have to make a seat cover check right, right but once you take damage you roll armor and then yeah the, if you don't have armor you're just hit oh no I'm, I'm thinking of like a an alien that would roll 10 dice to soak damage yeah but that's t- they still need sixes and they don't get they don't get to push yeah it's just something i was wondering about if you didn't really run into it in your game then i'm just they didn't. They did fire at. Well, there's a in the chair of the guards. They have these Promethean abominations. Which oh, are, that's right. Yeah, the abominations are not full blown xenomorphs, but they still have six points, uh, six dice of armor. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, like one player shot at one with a shotgun, and I'm like, all right, yep, he just absorbed it. Because uh, you rolled two successes, I rolled two successes, so your shotgun does shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, 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 and uh, ran away. Um, which was, I feel, very a very good genre moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't looked at all the aliens. Ads. So most aliens, like the, the standard alien, has like 10 dice of armor. The soldier. There's like worker. There's a worker that's mm-hmm. weaker. And there's a sentry that's like strong. Well, uh, the, the military weapons, though, have armor piercing, though, which doesn't that negate armor or like have it or something? That's true. I Yeah, I'm probably overthinking it. Making yeah. a big deal out of nothing, but I was just saw these things with like mm-hmm. so much armor. I don't know. It also just feels like a lot of rolling. That wouldn't. Want it, to yeah, I mean, there. Yeah, if you're you're even in that case, it's like roll to hit. If the xenomorph doesn't see cover, which they usually won't, um, they get their armor roll, and that's it. So that's two rolls, uh, assuming you don't negate it with the armor piercing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not too bad. Uh, but I mean, they are d six pools that are you know going to be ten dice or whatever. Yeah, especially if you're stressed out, colonial marine with like a good weapon. So you're rolling a pretty good amount of D6s at that point. That's true. If you're laying into him with like a smart gun or something. Yeah. Like in Charity of the Gods, the players killed one abomination by hitting with a grappling gun and then yanking it. It was on the outside of the spaceship or the, mm-hmm. they were on the hull uh, and they hit with a grappling gun and then just yanked it off. And so it just started drifting into space. Yeah. And stuff like that's a cool moment. Yeah. And like in those kind of special one hit kills uh, are very uh, like that's up to the GM. But like, I feel like that's probably a better way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. But in terms of the rules, yeah, the count, the gear does get a little crunchy, um, but that's pretty easily ignored. Most of the bonuses are you get bonus dice to do this. Yeah. Or you can do that. Or you are allowed to do this. Like, you know, heal injuries with a med kit or whatever. The only thing I didn't really look at at all was like the spaceship combat rules. Did you look at that i also was like no (laughs) moved on it has like stats for you know like the marines apc and uh Mm -hmm. stuff like their dropship and the nostromo i mean occasionally that could be fun like can an alien queen rip through an apc uh (laughs) before it can drive away yeah Uh, like if you're if you're doing that kind of game that that could be fun to do but 
Um, that's not sort of like a core gameplay feature. Uh, I mean, part of this is also sort of just like, here's all the stuff you remember from the movies and we got it here in case you want to use it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like any given player of this game is going to use like a third of it, but like you don't, the developers don't know which third. That's fair. I I, I want to go back to your question you asked a few moments ago, though. Like, what kind of campaign would you want to yeah. run in this world? Because um, we sort of talked about this with Witcher, but one of the things that's of interest with a franchise game is does it make you want to play it? Mm-hmm. Um, which The Witcher did not, was yeah. sort of my, <laughs> yeah. my conclusion of that episode. Yep. I think this one does, because I think there are a lot of interesting campaigns that you could do that have nothing to do with, like, really fighting a xenomorph. Mm-hmm. You could be a group of people, like, contracted by a corporation to to go investigate oh you know we hear wayland is doing some weird shit go find it out and then you sort of like end up sort of following leads trying to figure out what's going on yeah i mean that's the thing like you you uh they do actually have stats for non-alien aliens like they have mm-hmm. they made up some new original is like because there's that throwaway line in aliens oh is this another bug hunt implying that they've been brought out to kill other Mm-hmm. you know things on some colonial planet so i i like for me i could see a couple different things like the first thing is don't make it a horror game it's the alien setting but like it's it's chinatown but it's you know the players are investigators uncovering the big thing that wayland yutani is doing the, the terraforming wars of lv california mm-hmm. uh or just like the bioweapons like what yeah. did they drop down you know forget it jake it's wayland town you know yeah so you could do that but if you're going to do horror though like like, yeah, obviously, unless the players are have not seen the Aliens movies, if they haven't seen the Aliens, then yeah, you get to introduce them. But the average RPG player probably has seen the Aliens movies and is familiar with what they do. So, like, it's not very scary. If, even if they can kill your character, you're like, yeah, it's got acid for blood. It's going to eat me or it's going to put eggs in me. and I'm going to get the chest burster. It's going to be unpleasant. Yep. Mm-hmm. You would have to change it up. And they do that a little bit in Chariot of the Gods by having these abominations that they kind of because people aren't as familiar with Prometheus as they are with aliens um these basically people who get infected by the black goo and they they turn in this half human half alien hybrid thingy one thing you could do is also um yeah make up new original alien characters uh, ocs and um so think of other body horror concepts that you could come up with and just kind of work from there sure i think i was talking to caleb a while ago about doing a game maybe i mentioned to you too where you play a bunch of you play a bunch of colonial rights activists which I think are like probably the equivalent of people trying to unionize in mm-hmm. uh, the alien universe. And they're trying to investigate why the government nuked LV-426. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like the other things, maybe Wayland gets it and they manage to hybridize it or mm-hmm. like uh, perhaps the aliens just mutate in a different way on their own or aliens in different planets, different uh, uh, yeah. ecologies uh, evolve in different ways. So, um, I mean, that's the thing you, you have to take something that take the, you can't just use stock xenomorphs. Um, like I had an idea of like one thing that sort of terrifies me is this, um, uh, face blindness and this idea that like you just can't distinguish between different people um, mm-hmm. and then combining this with the idea of like cuckoos uh, which like lay their eggs in other birds nests and you know the, these birds you know raise the cuckoos and so what if you had that like where the xenomorphs infect these people so that they can't they think the xenomorphs are people and they're raising and helping them and basically so you go on this planet there's people there and then they fucking like tie you up or feed you to aliens because they think that oh that's just what we do you know mm-hmm. uh, junior needs his f- you know food and so yeah <laughs> get get a weird suburban you know people under the stairs vibe rather than yeah uh, it's like uh have you ever seen a film uh, a canadian film called the pit 
where like a kid finds a pit full of like little gremlins and oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. by like feeding townspeople to them yeah exactly something like that could be really good uh but you but that's what i think that's what you have to do if you're doing this as campaign plays like take the like the one another thing i think that that actually could have really improved this game is if they did what knights black agents did and had like an alien creation kit because this is a franchise maybe they wouldn't have had permission to be like make your own alien like that maybe the franchisee the the franchise holder would have been like eh we gotta stick with the original aliens yeah you're a gm you can make up your own stuff but i feel like yeah you can't just use your own uh the the same stuff over and over again so um but an alien creation kit would be a really cool idea maybe that would be a future supplement I, I can see them doing it because there is like a little bit of punch text that's like oh there are other xenomorph types that have been rumored but we haven't seen yet mm-hmm. and it is alien canon that they can take on all kinds of different forms depending on who the host body was oh yeah this is like the dog alien in alien 3 yep uh so yeah if we had those use the alien as sort of a springboard for your body horror your biological based horror of uh, uh choice i actually think what i would almost treat this as not a hundred percent i get it but it's almost like a low-tech light version of eclipse phase mm-hmm. it doesn't have the transhumanism which is obviously like one of the core pillars yeah. of, of that game but in terms of just like exploring different planets dealing with body horse shit future technology kind of like retro tech mm-hmm. if you had something that you wanted to do but eclipse phase gave players too many options this might be a good this is an easier setting for people to grow because it's like yep there's spaceships it's corporate dystopia in the future yeah but you're still gotta work for a living i yeah that's easier to grow than eclipse phase okay well let's first tell you about you know cortical stacks and then uplift let me tell you about the fall kids (laughs) yeah like exactly um you know one thing i i kind of want to do is actually um probably i'm going to take some of the mother next mothership adventure uh that i get like the one that they're kickstarting right now about the uh on that's uh the dungeon that's Mm -hmm. fired by blame probably running in this setting or with these rules yeah because i really like mothership's aesthetic and everything but like the rules make characters too durable and not competent and this character characters are competent and very fragile (laughs) yes far better for your sci-fi horror games yeah charity of the gods by the way which is going to be their first adventure that's published is a pretty long adventure Mm -hmm. uh it's a it's definitely it took us probably it took us five hours of play and then another hour of like sort of pre-briefing where everyone picked characters and I explained the rules and all that. Okay. Um, did you read through it too? Yeah, I skimmed through it. I don't think I read it as much detail as you did, mm-hmm. but I definitely read through it. It's got a lot of really good ideas in it. Like the pregens all have agendas, which are broken up by act. So at every turning point in the scenario, you can give them a little handout, a little things like, here's what you're trying to do now. Mm-hmm. You can ignore some of that. And actually, there's actually in the third act, there's a whole subplot about like a pirate trip trying to take over the ship that the players are on. And I, totally ignore that i didn't even use that yeah i think it's supposed to be like oh you know we could do anything to get off this ship type mm-hmm. people, but yeah because of the basic players are they're on another cargo ship and then they're told to go check out this other uh, this ship that is adrift and guess what it, it was a ship that was on a prometheus type planet they they found some black goo and it's all bad and uh the players get on the on the uh the drifting ship and then their own ship blows up because the their ai the mother uh is like no you if you if, uh, if this ship is allowed to remain you'll you'll want to escape so bye uh <laughs> which is a great move and the players are very indignant it's like wait why can't we stop it you can't it's just just fucking computers yep basically uh, yeah that's another big theme of the alien genre is just ai's fucking people over because if it's not an android or a uh, ship ai it's something 
bads going on. I did like that everyone had their own agenda and everyone was keeping secrets from one another. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, uh, and then they they make good use of the Prometheus abominations. I uh, yeah, so it's it's a good starting adventure. It don't use this as the the way to start up a campaign with any of those characters because there's basically <laughs> very you have to be very generous to let any of them survive. Yeah, it does kind of have that issue where you know usually games launch with like a simple starting adventure that you can then like you said launch a campaign. Mm-hmm. But I think the way they like segregate out play between cinematic and campaign unfortunately makes that kind of tricky to do with their their one shots. Yeah, that's true. There is actually another scenario in the book too, uh, but that's about it's a prequel to Aliens where you're the colonists on Hadley's Hope, you know, LV426 and then the, it's the final hours or the final days. I, I didn't, I only skimmed that. Did you re- take a look at that? I also just skimmed it, but it was yeah. an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, we can't really do much with that after that. Like everyone's going to die because that's what happens in the canon. Yeah. One thing I really liked about Charity of the Gods as it's structured is mm-hmm. I like that the bulk of the writing is like NPCs, players, and their sort of agendas interactions, which are way more important to kind of improv and deal with players going um, off book, quote unquote. Yeah, that's true. The actual amount of writing that's just, um, you know, here's what happens is very brief. It's roughly in just chronological order and it's only a couple pages compared to all the other information. So it's really setting you up to just sort of tell a story mm-hmm. on these ships with with characters, which I really appreciate instead of being a like a dungeon crawly style book of like you go into room A1 and that branches off into room A2 or B1. I did like that the um, they tell you to give the players the full map of the ship that they, they're exploring, the Cronus, uh, just mm-hmm. as soon as they get access to it, because then the players can just look at the map and say, well, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go to B deck and check out the armory. Or Totally reasonable. You could just pull it up on your ship's computer. And- no, that was a really good good choice. And uh, yeah, having the NPCs with clear agendas uh, was good. Um, the fact that the plot itself is only, yeah, described a couple of pages. So, and there's, there's like a list of like mandatory events that have to happen and then like optional events. And so I use some of the optional events, but yeah, it's you just kind of as GM, you kind of figure out the pacing. One of the players got a little too complacent, like, well, let's see, what can I throw at them? Mm-hmm. And uh, but obviously, when players are dealing with a lot of shit, it's like, yeah, no, it's fine. My favorite moment was probably when like everyone there's there there are four NPC crew members left, and they're of course all infected, so they're all basically eventually going to turn on the players. And like, mm-hmm. first they go berserk, and then they turn into like abominations. So like, the players are like, well, we need to do a bunch of stuff, and we need to all do it fast. Okay, so we have to split up. Well, whoa, whoa, no one's going out alone. All right. Everyone go with a different NPC. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. So that that worked out real well. Also, uh, I had one player who got grappled and uh, he was carrying an incinerator. And then on his panic roll, he rolled berserk. So I'm like... that's not good for you, is it? Because you're like, from hell's heart, I burn at thee. <laughs> so that was that was fun. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely a good adventure for... One thing I feel about this this RPG, it's almost like they have the campaign play stuff, but I feel like they're expecting people to just do a couple one-shots of it and move on. Yeah. Like, and to be honest, I'm fine with that because there's so many RPGs out there. We can't all play 20 sessions of one game yeah. that we have. Sometimes you get your money's worth if you just play like a couple games out of it. I, I definitely feel like this is one that I would have no problem just picking up and teaching people real quick and then just playing. Yeah, it's definitely
definitely really good for that. Um, if you have your sci-fi horror idea that wouldn't fit in Eclipse phase, then like if you want to be in a, in space, but you don't want your characters to have like nano swarms and like, you know, robot copies of themselves and mm-hmm. rail guns and plasma rifles and Jesus, a lot of shit, then yeah, this is a way to uh, make it a little easier to run your event horizon or a scenario of choice. So uh, some of the other things, I did get a bunch of accessories with the that they're selling. So the dice mm-hmm. are very nice. Uh, the sixes on the black dice have a little symbol on them and then the ones on the stress dice have a little face hugger on it which i thought was a good touch the cards though uh are interesting because they have 10 initiative cards but they also have a, a list of inventory of items like a pulse rifle picture on one side and then the stats on the other side which are like two damage plus two on all of your attack rolls and you know that that's about it but like that was good because i could hand out those cards as like this is your weapon if you want to hand to someone else give them that card yeah then they had a bunch of the characters all the uh characters the player pregens and the NPCs statted out on cards so you could actually reuse them as NPCs or pregens for your next card because a character's stats will fit on a single card aside from their backstory obviously but if you just need the bare essentials it all fit it's it's not very much so it's actually a pretty nice little accessory it's obviously totally unnecessary but like it's it's nice to have if you're if you're willing to spend the extra cash the GM screen was pretty good too it was mostly you know the panic roll I was consulting a lot and the uh, critical hit table later on yeah that was uh yeah it's actually you know pretty good quality yeah i've uh you know I, I get that all that stuff is is an extra cost but i've come to appreciate some of those little supplemental tools like just having rule cards like here's just a, a pack of cards that just have your stats on them Mm-hmm. It's very lightweight. I mean, the thing is, as an RPG company, like I like I feel like that's a better way to support a product line than like cranking out unnecessary books. Mm-hmm. You know, like just yeah, put out decks of cards. That's fine. Like that those are easy, those are small, portable, cheaper to make, and they actually do enhance the play experience. And it's not another large ass book that like people may or may not read. Yeah. So I think I probably, you know, you probably bought a supplements book cost worth of like cards for Wrath and Glory and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh they had they have six decks for that uh representing things like mm-hmm. critical hits campaign effects psychic you know uh, uh powers and that kind of thing uh Zweihander has also been doing that with having cards for like spells and stuff mm-hmm. so i feel like that's a good way to help like keep the rpg if you if you like this game you should get those cards actually jason uh brown's been running uh wrath and glory not recorded but for a different group and he says he's been using he's borrowed my decks and he's using them he says they're quite handy yeah overall i do think this if you if you like sci-fi horror if you want a rules like game it's actually yeah the, the core rule despite the book being a big old hardback the rules themselves are pretty easy to pick up the base rules yeah the campaign like I'm going to be real interested to see what they do for a future cinematic scenarios that they publish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just as a one shot game, you know, as an alternative to mothership, I think it's uh, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's um, very, very playable to do light space horror, which is kind of my jam. Mm-hmm. I would actually like to do like a four, like a four to six session campaign mm-hmm. of more little investigating, like a mystery in this world, just to see how it plays. But overall, like even just as a one shot game to play every so often with, with people i think it's a, a worthwhile purchase yeah i would like to try like a mini campaign like yeah four four to six sessions that'd be interesting because you could really like players like in chariot of the gods everybody really got into role-playing too like mm-hmm. there were some arguments there were a lot of tense moments between like the corporate guy and the 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 captain uh trying you know trying to assert their authority and mm-hmm. other people like we should do this no we have to do this and that kind of thing and uh it led to some really good uh moments in the scenario so yeah i think they give 
give you a lot of good tools for that because there are like players have literally a thing called an agenda that is something you should be like trying to do. And I think just having that one little, even like a sentence or two to think about really can focus you on how to respond to situations and really drive a lot of good role play. Yeah, I think I might try and write my own scenario with like agendas for characters at that point to sort of help guide uh, role playing for some of these more, I wouldn't say scripted, but not sandboxy, but like plotted scenarios. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably keep that in mind, try and run that at some point. So something about we've pretty much covered everything we want to say about Alien. Yeah. So uh, thank you all for listening. We don't have any shout outs for this episode because I just wanted to get this out. But again, Night Clerk Radio uh, at Night Clerk Radio on Twitter. We'll have some uh, teasers and uh, whatnot up uh, hopefully soonish. We'll try and launch it next year, you know, early 2020. Stay tuned. I'm Ross Payton. I'm at Ross Payton on Twitter. I am Burke. I am at Burke McBurkinson, also on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. If you want to hear more RPPR podcasts, check out patreon.com slash RPPR. We have After Hours. We have Questing for Answers, you know, Q&A focused podcast, hours and hours and hours of content. We also have early access for our actual play episodes. And uh, you can actually play in online games run by the RPPR cast. You can join our Discord uh, and back at the $10 level or higher. Uh, and tons of other unique rewards on our Patreon. So please uh, check it out and uh, help keep the podcast going so uh thank you all for listening talk to you later bye